Well, Donald Trump's time in office is coming to an end. Joe Biden's going to be president in 35 years. Uh, 35 <laughs> days. Feels like 35 years. 35 days. Yes. It does feel like 35 years. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. In snowy Palinville, New York on WLPP. In snowy Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire, where there'll probably soon be snow, if there isn't already, on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, where there's, there's always snow there, isn't there? We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans. FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. And all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us with just... 34, uh, well, 34 years until Inauguration Day, I think, <laughs> as Ollie Velshi said, uh, it's actually 34 days until Inauguration Day. But you know Ollie Velshi, MSNBC's Iron Man yes. reporter. Hardest working that man in dude, media. Dude, yeah, no kidding. Uh, he's just uh, a newsman's newsman. And so he's exhausted, and he said it will be 35 years, but I know how he feels right around now. I really <laughs> I do. do. That dude does, you know, two hours a day, two shows a day, and then he goes in and fills in on everybody else's shows during prime time. Anyway, we won't hold it against him. So 34 days until Inauguration Day, 20 days until Joe Biden's 306-vote electoral college landslide uh, is ratified or not by the U.S. Congress. With, by the way, Mike, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, he will be presiding over a joint session of Congress when those electoral college results are ratified or not, immediately after which it is being reported today, Mike Pence plans to leave the country. Really? Yeah. For a trip to Europe and the Middle East, he's just getting out on that same day, supposedly. On a taxpayer's dime? Uh, no doubt, yes. Uh, purportedly in order to help escape the wrath of Don, 
uh, that will, uh, you know, for for not, I don't know what he's going to expect Pence to do to, you know, declare the entire session out of order and grant the election to Trump himself or something like that. But boy, Donald Trump's going to be in a bad mood that day, I suspect. And Pence doesn't want any part of it. He's leaving 19 days at this point until Georgia's uh, casts its final votes in the state's two U.S. Senate runoff elections to determine control of the U.S. Senate. That's on January 5. Early voting is now underway. And I got to tell you, I've been very skeptical uh, the Democrats would be able to win both of those uh, Senate seats in order to have any hope of affecting any kind of real change in this country. I looked a little closer today at the current polling in both races, if you believe in that sort of a thing. Well, uh, wow, it's actually pretty close, according to the pre-election polls. Uh, both of those races are within a, uh, a margin of less than 1%, like hmm. 0.1%, 0.3% in 538's um, uh, uh, election average, whatever they call that. Uh, anyway, if those pre-election polls mean anything, and as we saw on November 3rd, it seems like Democrats have to be leading by a lot more than that in order to actually win. Uh, the uh, Republicans pretend claims that the election was stolen from them, notwithstanding. Well, uh, you know they're going to bring those out no course, matter what happens. Well, course. if they if, if they, they don't, right? Yeah, if, if they, they don't win, <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know, all of that has kept us from looking at what actually happened in this election. And if there are actually concerns, someone ought to look at Kentucky. Just saying. Anyway, uh, so both of those races are really, really close. Uh, so, hey, please get out and vote, Georgia. You could pull off a miracle to end uh, 2020, and we could really use a miracle right around now. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the broadcast. A massive snow dump in the Northeast on Thursday is breaking some records, and it helps us kick off today's show on a climate-related news, as we've got a couple of several breaking stories in that regard today. So let me turn to Desi Doyen, our producer, and of course our Green News Report co-host and managing editor, and uh, and really it's bright shining star. Let me just say that. <laughs> well, thank you. So we got a few stories here before we move to uh, today's guest. Two feet of snow in some areas, Desiree, in yeah. uh, the Northeast, and more snow in New York City in one day than all of last year, really? Yeah, well, What's remember, going on? last year was a drier year for much of the Northeast and the Midwest and the, the North. Uh, it was a low precipitation year overall. In fact, we had uh, in Alaska, I believe, that they also had had a, uh, the lowest the and, lowest and snow in years, which is, it just, you know, this is the kind of thing that you expect to see with climate change. I mean, these will, it will take time to determine the exact attribution of the climate influence on this particular extreme weather event. But climate scientists have predicted for years, and they're seeing it now come out in the actual uh, data. And that, this is pretty extreme, this nor'easter yeah, in, uh, in, in New York. They so predicted for yeah. years that climate change is going to bring more frequent and extreme weather events, and that includes bigger swings. So last year, no snow. This year, so much snow that it breaks records. So those are the kinds of extremes that we can expect to see that we are actually seeing now. Oh, fun. Yeah. And also, uh, for example, that includes more precipitation. Uh, NOAA had already done a study years ago that showed that 
precipitation in the Northeast has increased 70% since the 1970s. Mm. So we have these extreme precipitation dumps, and when it's cold enough, it becomes snow. If it's too warm, it's rain. But we've seen that across the United States. So that is uh, that's happening today, and uh, it seems like it came out of nowhere. That particular storm hadn't seen that one coming. We'll see what that portends for the rest of the year. But there's more news, uh, new news today, just before airtime on two important Joe Biden nominations <clears throat> for EPA and Interior. Desiree, let me get your uh, quick thoughts on both of these appointments. Let's start with the EPA, where Biden has reportedly selected Michael Regan, North Carolina's chief climate regulator, as his uh, nominee to head up the EPA, according to several reports today from The New York Times, NBC and others. If that turns out to be true, what do we know about Mr. Regan? Is this good news for the climate? Yes. Which would also make it good news for all of humanity. And frankly, I could use some good news for all of humanity today. So, yes, please say yes. OK, so, yes, definitely. And right off the bat, I will say that both uh, Michael Regan and Deb Holland, who he has uh, reportedly selected for Interior Secretary, both of them uh, will put environmental justice front and center. Uh, so Michael Regan himself, as you said, he's uh, currently leads North Carolina's state environmental a- agency. He would be the first black man to run the EPA. Mm. He was previously a staffer at the EPA during the Clinton and Bush administrations. And So he knows the territory in theory. Yes, in theory he does. So if confirmed, he's expected to bring a strong focus on racial and environmental justice. Environmental groups have praised his selection. They say that his success Success in navigating state politics in North Carolina, a politically divided state government with a Democratic governor, but a mm-hmm. extremely right wing state legislature. Mm-hmm. He was able to navigate that and and put together some considerable programs that uh, helped to head off the politically powerful coal utility that mm-hmm. pretty much ran, ran North, North Carolina, Carolina for years, Duke Energy. And so one of the things that he because, did... Because, by the way, Duke Energy's former CEO just happens to also be the former governor Gover- of North Carolina. Yeah, they yeah. basically bought him yes, that they governorship. Did. Captured North Carolina. So Reagan, one of his big things that he did, Reagan, one of the big things he did was he crafted a multi-billion dollar cleanup of toxic coal ash waste pits Mm -hmm. that Duke Energy had been fighting for years to not have to clean up that have been contaminating the groundwater of North Carolinians for decades. And that uh, actually led to the largest excavation of toxic coal ash in the nation's history. He also uh, tackled forever chemicals, those PFAS chemicals that have also contaminated North Carolina's drinking water. Mm -hmm. And he also launched the first utility energy efficiency program in the Southeast. So he's got a lot that he can do. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of experience. You know, as as administrator of the EPA, he'd be responsible for crafting fuel efficiency standards for cars and trucks, overseeing emission standards, doing a lot of work on not just climate change, but also, as I said, environmental justice, because yeah. uh, frontline communities, communities of color, low-income communities tend to be those that live closest to polluting industries. That is not an accident, but it's something that is a decades-long legacy that will have to be addressed, that the EPA is supposed to be addressing, but has fallen to the wayside 
under the Trump administration. These communica- uh, communities, as you say, are hit first and worst when it comes to the effects of climate change and pollution yeah. and so forth. Uh, so uh, this is very cool. Let's move. Uh, do we have you got more on him or yeah. should I get to uh, Deb no, Holland? Let's go on here? to Deb Holland. So Deb Holland and uh, as interior pick. Uh, and I know that you were eager actually to see her. She's Congresswoman Deb Holland of New Mexico. It's a particularly cool selection for reasons that I know may be close to your heart in particular. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, tribal and progressive activists lobbied very hard to put Deb Holland in control because she of, of interior because she would be the first Native American, the first indigenous person to lead that agency. And that agency manages tribal lands. Yeah. So it's a big deal yeah. for her to be selected. She's yeah. a fantastic choice, a huge support from environmental groups as well. I mean, a really, really, truly historic pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a question that I have about her, though. However, that her selection, if confirmed by the Senate, puts the House majority, which is yeah. a very narrow majority, yeah. kind of really, yes. really much narrower. And that, yes. that has some... That has some concerns for me. Uh, yeah, and you should be concerned. And I, I hope to talk about it in the days ahead because the uh, Democrats have a very will have a very narrow majority in the U.S. House, just four seat majority at this point when the new Congress is sworn in. Joe Biden has already tapped two other Congress members, uh, Cedric Richmond of Louisiana, Marsha Fudge of Ohio, to be seated on his cabinet. So they got a four vote majority when those two leave to join the cabinet. That will give Democrats a two vote majority while awaiting special elections to fill their seat. Now, with the um, uh, naming of Deb Holland, if this comes to pass, just a one vote majority in the U.S. House for the Democrats. And, you know, anything can happen. People can get sick. People can get the covid. And it also means that, you know what, that's it. No more uh, House members to be named on Joe Biden's cabinet. Yeah, that would take pretty much everybody out of that. And so that might be an incentive for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, should the Senate continue, the Republicans continue to hold the Senate. That might be an incentive for McConnell to go ahead and approve Interior Secretary Deb Holland in order to get her out of the House as soon as possible. Yeah. But I don't know. That's that's yeah. looking far ahead. But, yeah. you know, one of the important things about the Interior Department is not only does it manage the Bureau of Indian Affairs mm-hmm. and, uh, and tribal lands, um, it also manages vast protected areas. It ra- manages roughly one-fifth of all land in the United States, that land that is public land, mm. land that is owned by all Americans, mm-hmm. um, including 109 million acres of wilderness, 422 national park sites. It also manages endangered species and manages massive water projects in the West. And the previous Interior Secretary, I guess you should say the current Interior Secretary of the Trump administration, David Bernhardt, is a former lobbyist for the Westlands Water District. He's a water lobbyist. And before he leaves, he has rammed through a really sweetheart deal for the Westlands Water Company. And that is one of the things that hopefully, if Holland is uh, confirmed, mm-hmm. that she'll be able to roll that back. I should say, by the way, he's a water lobbyist as well as a coal lobbyist and a chemical lobbyist. He's not lobbying for clean water. No, definitely he's, not. He's lo- lobbying for, for the water polluters. rights. Exactly, yeah.
So uh, anyway, that yep. that's sort of a, a, yeah. a roundup of why these are great choices, and I think they'll uh, do fantastic jobs if they get confirmed. Very cool. And I mentioned Close to Your Heart uh, for a number of reasons, one of which being your own Native American uh, descent. Yes. Descent. Yes. All right. Well, before we get to my guest here, speaking of the Interior Department, uh, oh, look, it's our Trump administration COVID-positive cabinet member of the day. Yes, corrupt coal industry lobbyist turned Trump's swampy Interior Department Secretary, David Bernhardt, who's 51 years old. He tested positive for the coronavirus on Wednesday. He was tested for the uh, virus that causes COVID-19 before President Trump held a cabinet meeting on Wednesday. So he was set to go into the cabinet meeting. Uh, thankfully, they found out he was positive before the meeting. And so, um, as Washington Post reports, the secretary did not attend the session. <laughs> Thoughtful. Uh, an Interior Department spokesman claimed that Bernhardt is uh, currently asymptomatic. He will uh, continue ripping off the American people on behalf of corporate polluters and robber barons from quarantine for the next uh, few days. Uh, his infection has reportedly set off a wave of testing among high-ranking department officials. According to the Post, he has spent the last two days in meetings with political appointees there. Uh, just guessing, but, you know, probably maskless meetings. Boy, are they going to have to do a, a lot of uh, fumigating as of January 20. While most career interior employees are working remotely, a number of Trump official appointees continue to come in regularly. The secretary also attended a portrait unveiling for Trump's disgraced former interior secretary, Ryan Zinke, last week. Yes, uh, he gets a portrait, apparently, no matter how corrupt and disgraced they are when they leave the administration. He was Zinke was referred for criminal charges to the Department of Justice by the Interior Department Inspector General. That before Trump's corrupt, outgoing Attorney General and Swamp King Bill Barr helped to make that criminal referral just disappear, just disappear. I'm hoping that Joe Biden's AG, whoever it may be, can help that referral uh, perhaps reappear at the Department of Justice. Others at that uh, gathering for Ryan Zinke's portrait include Senators John Barrasso, Republican of Wyoming, Steve Daines, Republican of Montana, Lisa Murkowski, Republican of Alaska, and Kevin Kramer, Republican of North Dakota. That, according to Politico Playbook, naming just a few of the Republican officials in D.C., just a few that are left who have yet to contract the deadly virus at this point. Bernhardt is at least the top, uh, the third top official at the department to contract the virus since November. Uh, others include its top attorney who tested positive after serving as an election observer in Pennsylvania. But wait, I thought Republicans were not allowed to observe in Pennsylvania. I don't <laughs> understand. Uh, and also the director of U.S. Fish and Wildlife also tested positive there recently. Following Bernhardt's diagnosis, employees at Interior were informed that a large holiday party that had been scheduled for Thursday has now been canceled. If if there were, you know, Democrats in, uh, let's say, a Biden administration who repeatedly violated the administration's own guidelines 
for anything. All of these parties they're having. We talked about the Mike Pompeo. He's now in quarantine after holding a party in violation of the guidelines of the, the Trump administration's own health officials. If they're, you know, if Democrats did that, let's say in a Biden administration, if they repeatedly violate, violated the administration's own guidelines for anything, not only would that be covered on every right wing pretend news outlet, it would also be carried on every legitimate non wingnut news outlet. Oh, yeah. The media would lose their minds, which is, of course, one of the long standing imbalances in our corporate media structure, which, you know, phony whining and working the refs by the institutionally self-victimized Republican Party notwithstanding, that corporate media actually tends to lean right, to always give the benefit of the doubt to the Republicans and give an inappropriately balanced playing field to a decidedly unbalanced game. With one party now so far off the rails into loony land, as the party now represents their values, election denialism, COVID denialism, and of course their longstanding climate change denialism. You know, that, that Americans have one hell of a time appreciating and understanding just how far off the rails we are as a nation because the media tend to cover this as a both sides issue. Well, Republicans believe that Democrats believe that. At least as my upcoming guest, political media analyst Eric Bullard is once again arguing this week, our friend Mr. Bullard will join us next to discuss that and much more on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Cause every time I turn around, I'm back down to one. Tell me why it feels like I'm still on the run. I need some good news, baby. Cause like the world's gone crazy. Give me some good news, baby. Give it to me. Give it to me. Yeah, well, if you're looking for good news, you may have come to the wrong place and the wrong country. In the wrong century. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Writing this week in his email newsletter, Press Run, longtime political media analyst Eric Bullard opines hurtling down a path of denialism that has no precedent in mainstream American politics. Today's Republican Party represents an unwieldy challenge. For the press, as the GOP wantonly sets out to invalidate election results and simultaneously endanger the masses during a public health crisis by deliberately misinforming Americans about the COVID-19 pandemic. The election denial married with the COVID denial means one of our two major political parties has unchained itself from reality. He says it's now a marauding movement determined to cause harm to the country and our democracy. And the press has no idea how to cover it. Well, if that's true, as Bullard argues, I might add, 
I know how the press feels. For my part, I, I believe I've been uh, fairly regularly explaining on this show uh, and throughout much of the Trump era, some days even starting the show by explaining bluntly that I have no clue how to properly cover what is going on, what has been going on for the past four or five years, and that I've got to figure it out anew pretty much each and every day as we go to air, and I never feel that I'm able to, you know, to, to get it just right. Now, I try to cut myself at least some slack here in that pretty much all of this remains Completely unprecedented, as Eric says, at least in this country, given the unimaginable norm-breaking, rule-breaking, law-breaking, and the daily abusive actions of a deranged president who actually has no idea what he's doing but couldn't care less, and a Republican Party which has, for the past four years, pretended that all of this was somehow just perfectly normal. The president is just, you know, speaking his mind. He's got a lot of opinions about things, even as the party itself over those same years has become, as Eric notes, a party of denialism with no precedent in mainstream American politics. Uh, the Republican Party has now joined the demented president in Pretty much everything at this point, they have become the party of Donald Trump, in particular now joining him in utter denialism of the two most important stories gripping American government right now. The fact that Joe Biden decisively won the presidential election in November with even more electoral college votes than when Donald Trump described his 2016 election as a landslide. And as the worst pandemic in a century continues to rage and worsen, having now killed more Americans over the past nine months than all of those killed in combat during the impossibly long years of World War II. All the while, tens of millions of Americans are now out of work and are on the verge of losing their homes as congressional Republicans have refused for months to even discuss much less pass a new COVID relief bill to help save hundreds of thousands of lives and millions of jobs and small businesses in all 50 states. In both cases, both of those stories, the twisted uh, GOP denialism, uh, if you follow the way the corporate media are covering these matters, it might seem like little more than both political parties, both sides merely disagreeing on policy. They're dysfunctional. And, hey, we have a long tradition after all of the push and pull of Republicans and Democrats having it out in the arena of ideas as the political pendulum swings from one side to the other and back again. Ultimately, you know, it's just politics as usual. Both sides play hardball on behalf of their own values and for their own constituents, right? Well, not exactly, Mr. Bullard argues. Joining us now to make that argument is Eric Bullard, longtime political news media analyst, author and critic at Media Matters Salon and Daily Coast, and now publishing his own thrice weekly email newsletter, I believe, called Press Run, which you can sign up for at PressRun.media. Eric Bowler, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I guess you're snowed in up there in the uh, in New York somewhere for the day? Uh, New, New Jersey, yep. We New got a, a, t a touch of winter finally after having spring all December. A touch of winter. You got like two feet in some places <laughs> up there. That's a, that's a pretty big touch. All right. So listen, Eric, I, I have to admit, I, I have no idea. 
I have no idea how to cover all of this. Right. So I've, I've got at least some sympathy for my colleagues, if you will, in the on the corporate side of the broadcast media. And you have, I think it's fair to say, somewhat less sympathy for them, even though I believe during one of our conversations over the past four hellishly long years, I think <laughs> I remember you saying that the media was doing a much better job than expected in rising to some of the challenges of, the, of, of this presidency. Uh, has that changed in your estimation, or, or is it just that they have not risen enough to meet uh, the ever-changing circumstances at this point? I think there's been some ebb and flows. I mean, I think there are some, some some specific stories they've done better than others. If we're talking about that column I just did in terms of, if we're talking about the last month mm-hmm. in terms of election denialism, if we're talking about COVID fantasies, uh, Republicans actively, you know, I pointed out, you know, Republicans in the Indiana State Legislature just pa- refused to pass, you know, a measure requiring everyone to wear a mask in session. I mean, small things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Republican Party uh, is 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 a pro-pandemic party. The Republican Party is a is an anti-democratic party. Uh, so I think in the last month it, we've swung back to to real real uh, shortfallings just because the stakes are so high. Mm. We are talking about a presidential election. We are talking about. A pandemic that I guarantee you is going to kill four thousand people on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. I mean, these the stakes are so high that I would argue that the, we're, we're ending this this hellish fault long four years on on unfortunately a really sour note. And I, you know, I understand when you say you know you're trying to put it in perspective and 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 it's not easy. And I totally get that. I I look at other news coverage and I don't I don't see anyone even attempting to put it. Um, you know, in context and things like that. And mm. everything you pointed out in that intro is accurate, where, uh, you know, his, you know, the corrupt, uh, in, in, insane behavior, um, let, you know, even if we just look at this uh, election nonsense, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, 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 and it's just treated as, First of all, uh, you know, right after the election, Politico, CNN, you know, I wrote about how Politico was saying, well, this is all this is all just performance art. You know, Republicans don't believe that Trump wants to steal the election. They're just letting him, you know, blow off some steam. Mm-hmm. Nobody's take everyone just calm down. All you Democrats calm down. We've been told we've been told by the Beltway Press to calm down for 4 years, <laughs> and the Beltway Press has been wrong every single time just as a as a side note. So, and CNN did a report saying, quote, the the Republicans, quote, had no choice but to go along with Trump as he tried to overturn overturn election results because Trump controls the base. It's all viewed as this game. And no one was laughing last week when over 100 members of Congress signed off on a lawsuit that wanted to throw out 20 million votes. Mm -hmm. This absolutely absurd Texas lawsuit that 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 found that was claiming fraud but only in four states that right. Trump lost and that those those 100 plus members republican members of congress signing off on that obliterated forever this narrative that the press has held on to for 4 years that the republican party is privately very concerned about Trump they you know they can't sleep at night because of his tweets and gosh they can't say it publicly but the Republican Party is filled with honorable and serious men and women, and 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 when Trump leaves, everything will be fine. Baloney! That is garbage. Mm. This is going to define the next four years and how the press treats 
this radical, dangerous political party over the next four years yeah. is going to be a really big story. You know, I, 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 since you bring up this lawsuit that they all signed on to, a hundred something, uh, I think it was like 126 members of Congress or something signed on to this Texas suit. You know, I've been sort of wrestling, as I say, every day, reevaluating how to cover this. Uh, I had a caller earlier in the week who, you know, who asked me, Brad, isn't the all of these lawsuits that they are filing, isn't that, shouldn't that be described as treason? Now, I don't think those lawsuits actually are treason. I think they're, uh, you know, you can file lawsuits about anything you want, pretty much. Sure. They might be frivolous. We might see, uh, you know, some of the attorneys... Uh, face, facing sanctions for some of this, but I don't know that it's tre- treason. On the other hand, the four states that were uh, being sued by Texas described what was going on here as a seditious attempt yeah. to, <laughs> and and that's you know that's kind of getting close to treason, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I'm not. A, I don't know for sure. I'm not a constitutional attorney, but uh, those terms. If you've got the attorney general of uh, uh, Pennsylvania, I think it was, who used that term, a seditious attempt. Is that closer to the type of language that media ought to be yeah. describing what is going on here? Absolutely. 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 Seditious, traitorous. Um, you know, um, I mean, I mean, treason, you know, Eric, treason is punishable by death. So but, I'm very careful when I use that kind of language here. Sure, I, I understand. I understand, but I mean, it's never going to happen because this is a press corps that, that spent four years not even calling Trump a liar. Right? You know, the, the, Trump Trump's not a a patholo- an unstable pathological liar. Trump Trump is someone who traffics in falsehoods. So, but you know, the the election stuff was so important because, as I pointed out. You know, the early media take was, oh, everyone just calm down. He's he's blowing off steam. Republicans don't buy this. Well, they obviously do. Rand Paul was on Fox News today saying, well, you know, states shouldn't be sending out ballots unsolicited to the masses because we we can't, we shouldn't have people who don't typically vote vote. Right. I mean, I swear to God, he said this. He no, said and, basically, and, and actually, it was what we what he was saying was not sending out ballots unsolicited. He was talking about sending out a solicitation, a ballot, to just not a ballot, uh, just to let them know a reminder that they can <laughs> apply if they wish for a mail-in ballot. So he's saying, if you didn't vote in 2018, 2016, if you're not a regular voter, we shouldn't count your votes because it's going to mess up our totals. I mean, what are we talking about here? And that is just one example out of 20 you and I can point to where members of the Republican Party, members of Congress, have unequivocally stated we do not support free and fair elections. I don't know. We didn't. Nobody saw this coming in October. Trump said out loud when he was asked, are you going to transfer power peacefully? He said, I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. New York Times put that, on, put that story the next day on page 15. Nobody saw the Republican Party coming out in, in, in opposition to free and fair elections. Thank God we had some state officials, you know, Secretary of State in Georgia, Secretary of State in other uh, Republican states, mm-hmm. who did their job mm-hmm. and, and basically saved the republic for four years. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen during the Georgia runoff. 
if those two Democratic candidates both win by 5,000 votes, you think yeah. the Republican Party is going to say, oh, okay, Democrats control the Senate, you guys want it fair and square? Of course not. There's going to be World War III. The Republican Party has now signed off on not accepting election results. Well, if... I mean, if, if, and, and, and yeah. the press just... If you read the daily coverage... Uh -huh. That is not the story you're getting. You're just absolutely not getting how dangerous and, and borderline civil war this stuff is becoming. Well, I was going to say, you know, if you want to make the argument that we couldn't see this coming, at least from the Republican Party, the, the election denialism, if we couldn't see it coming from them uh, prior to November, we certainly can see it now. And depending on how things play out uh, on January 5 in uh uh, in, in Georgia, if the Democrats end up taking over a majority control of the U.S. Senate, they are obviously going to go ballistic, the Republican Party. And is sure. that something that the media ought to be? Let me put it this way. I, you know, I think that the print media, for example, Washington Post, uh, they've been fairly willing to call out this president as a liar. They've got their 20,000, whatever it is, uh, lies, their, their running yeah. database. Uh, yeah. You've had, well, you've got CNN's uh, Dan Dale has done a very good job of live fact-checking Donald Trump throughout all of his rallies and so forth. But when you write about the whitewashing of the Republican Party, for example, CNN headline uh, reading, uh, Senior GOP lawmakers grow anxious over Trump's yeah. efforts you know, to overturn election results. Is your complaint more with their coverage of Congress and the party at this point versus their coverage of Donald Trump, who... Oh, I, it's I, both. I, yeah. It's both. You know, and, and you pointed that CNN headline, Republicans grow anxious over Trump not conceding. You know, I, uh, that article quoted exactly three Republicans <laughs> who expressed any kind of anxiety. This was two weeks ago mm -hmm. about Trump conceding. CNN has been committed for four years to the storyline that Republicans privately are very concerned. They just can't say so publicly. They want to do the right thing. I say bull. That is just bull. And we've seen it. You know, post-election, and, and as we've said, you know, 100 members signing on for that ridiculous Texas lawsuit. Mm -hmm. they, they, they want, and it's part of this both sides thing, mm -hmm. if the press tells the truth about the Republican Party today, which no longer supports free and fair elections and is deliberately misleading the country about a pandemic, if they tell the truth, the Republican Party is no longer in the mainstream. And you can't do both sides' coverage. Democrats and Republicans are essentially mere images of each other, center-right versus center-left. You can't, you, you have to blow up the both sides' narrative, which they love. Mm -hmm. So they are desperate to keep the Republican Party in the mainstream. If you read the coverage day in and day out, sometimes you would think Mitt Romney were president. You would think John McCain were president. <laughs> you would not think a madman was president, and the Republican Party has, has capitulated to a madman in the White House. You just want. You would think it's 1996 you know, or mm -hmm. 2008 or any. That Trump is the most radical player in the history of American politics in terms of the power he has is, he is, uh, consumed and has. And the, and the Beltway Press has not made radical changes in terms of how they cover this administration and how they cover the Republican mm -hmm. Party. And, 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 and post-election... I think all of that was, was emphasized and made uh, all the more apparent, uh, because if you would listen to the press, 
oh, this Republican Party, they, you know, they want, they're privately anxious for Trump to go. They want to return to normalcy. That's not what we've seen since Election Day. No. We have seen them attack the premise of our democracy day in and day out. So it, it, that might have come as a bit of surprise because we've been told for four years, you know, they're really good guys, uh, and and once Trump leaves, everything will be okay. Does anyone think that's true now? I don't. Well, uh, apparently, uh, Gail King thinks it's true. She thinks it's everybody's fault. You you cite, Always. for example, in in their coverage of the uh, failure. Uh, to pass a new COVID relief bill for months right. on end, oh, even though God. the Democrats passed a, a $3 trillion bill back in April that Mitch McConnell would not even bring up for a vote. he Much less he would not even negotiate with Democrats. Right. Democrats, Nancy Pelosi had to negotiate with the White House on that. But yet the coverage, as you, as you describe it, political calls it the latest evidence. Washington is broken. Gail King of CBS News says, why hasn't Congress done more. The New York Times said Congress is, quote, an institution gripped with paralysis. Washington Post uh, charged the lack of legislation was due to, quote, bickering. Now, those things are not untrue in and of themselves, but they certainly right. fail to explain the real story to the American people who ends up walking away thinking, oh, you know, yeah, these both of these parties, they're oh. just terrible. You see that you see those comments all the time. Yeah. You see the comments, and, and this COVID relief is a perfect example. The first uh, relief package, which was passed in weeks, you know, back in March, absolutely saved families, saved businesses, saved the economy. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it was such an important thing, and within weeks, every economist in the country said we need another one. It has been eight, nine months, and you see comments all the time. Uh, just talking to regular folks, why you know, Congress, you know, our government doesn't work. Why can't this get? Why can't we get this passed? I pointed out in my piece of press run. There was a, there was a poll last week. A plurality of Americans blame Nancy Pelosi mm -hmm. for the delay in in the COVID relief. Right. Why would that be the case? As you pointed out, House Democrats passed a three trillion dollar relief package in may how would nancy pelosi why is nancy pelosi being blamed if she's the one that helped pass a three trillion dollar relief which as you said mitch mcconnell put in the waste paper basket mm -hmm. it's because if you read all of the COVID coverage i could find 20 articles this week about these supposed ongoing negotiations not one of those 20 i could find We'll, we'll mention that the House Democrats passed $3 trillion uh, bill. That has been flushed down the memory hole mm -hmm. because, it'll, because it's a, it, it, it ruins the both sides' narrative that we talked about. Well, Everything. Me, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, well, let me ask you this. Uh, because, of course, I agree with you on this point uh, and the question of you know, how this. Uh, I was actually stunned when, when I saw you uh, uh, report that there was a plurality of Americans who were actually yeah. blaming Pelosi for this. There's plenty to blame Pelosi for. Sure, uh, sure. And actually, you can blame her for you know, not doing enough in the first bill, the CARES Act, and, and accepting that Republicans were going to continue negotiating new bills uh, in good faith when they just didn't. Right. Um, so there's a certain failure there. But the idea that her, it's her fault that a subsequent bill has not passed, I'm wondering, the fact that Americans believe that, is that a failure of the media or is it a failure of, frankly, the Democrats' communications team? I mean, yeah. if, if Democrats were as good at politicking 
as Republicans are, and, uh, you know, they're great at, at Republicans are great at politicking. They're terrible at policy and vice versa, I think, when it comes to Democrats. But how much of this is their fault, the Democrats fault for not explaining to the American people what is going on. The Republicans don't wait for the media to do it for them. They go out yeah. there and, 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 and set the, the, the framing for these issues on their own. Yeah, I, I, I get that argument, and I see that a lot on, on uh, Twitter for various topics, and Democrats don't do good messaging. I'm, I'm willing to go 30% into that, <laughs> but for me, 70%, it, 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 it's not... I'm not giving them. I'm not uh, absolving them because mm-hmm. I think they can do better messaging. But in this media landscape, it's it's almost impossible to, for Democrats to get a message out the way it is for Republicans. A, they don't have a Fox News. They don't have a Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. They don't have a billion dollar media infrastructure mm-hmm. that will literally parrot anything they say. Um, uh, and B, Democrats don't lie every day for a living. They don't lie about health care. They don't lie about taxes. They don't lie about the coronavirus. Uh, so they have a certain restrictions, a, a self-imposed restrictions, thank God, to try to tell the truth as often as possible. Uh, and, and, and frankly, and the D.C. press is just not on board. You know, I pointed out, you know, with Pelosi and, and, and uh, COVID, uh, in that column I wrote, I reminded people in October, she went on CNN and, and Wolf Blitzer kind of ambushed her and got into almost a shouting match with her because a couple days before the White House had, uh, you know, um, uh, proposed some COVID relief package, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and Blitz and both Blitz were saying, "Why won't you accept this? Why won't you accept this deal? Americans are hurting. Americans are hurting." A, this proposal from the White House came out of the blue. No one even knew what it was. B, really, Mitch McConnell had already and Republicans in the Senate had already said we don't support it. Therefore, it was never going to get a vote. This gets into the weeds, but Nancy Pelosi, you know, the Republicans in the Senate have been arguing with, you know, the Republican White House about this COVID bill. Pelosi has no say in any of that, and she goes on CNN, and and she the one, she's the one who gets beat beat up yep. for for not supporting a, a Republican COVID relief bill that doesn't exist. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's so what... that's just a, that's just try to uh, as a way to try to explain. Yes, Democrats can do a better messaging job, but I think the deck is stacked against them in such a dangerous and, and bad way uh, that it, I'm not surprised when, when they falter in terms of messaging. I think uh, Desi Doyen gets it right when she describes the media giving good faith coverage to bad faith Republicans. Yeah. That's really what we have been seeing for many years at this point. Eric, let me ask you one more question before I want to take a break and, and, and come back and ask you about well, some related politics when it comes to messaging and so forth. But very quickly, your, your column from Wednesday, your press run column, argues that the GOP has now fully bowed down to Trump nihilist tendencies and no longer occupies the American mainstream. And of course, I appreciate and agree with that point as well in a general sense. But if approximately half of America, <laughs> I know, right? or at least, you know, 74 million of them, if they believe this stuff, isn't that pretty much the mainstream at this point, Eric? I mean, is this a is this a chicken and egg question? You know, 74 million mm-hmm. believe that this is normal because the media have dropped the ball in educating the electorate about how, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and, and frankly, damn dangerous all of this stuff is. 
would we see that high of a number if the media did a better job doing what they're supposed to do here? Well, I, I guess out of, you know, however, 73 million, I, you know, my hunch is half kind of buy into it, and the other half are voting R instead of D. So uh, I guess I'm giving some of the, his supporters a big benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm going to argue that half of them don't really understand what the last four years of, about uh, Trump have been. Uh, kind of what we, we used to call low-information voters. Uh, so I, I'm not convinced that 73% of Americans are, are as awful as, and maniacal and deranged and hateful <laughs> as Donald Trump. And therefore, I guess I could I, I'd argue there's still... A possibility of of, of those the, half of those being part of the mainstream. The other half, there there uh, there are absolutely thirty million that I think are just off the rails and has basically become the PizzaGate party, the QAnon party, the cult party, and it's dangerous. And we have no idea where they're trying to take this country. And I and I and I don't under under. Uh, uh, try to undersell that in any way, shape, or form. That is a very dangerous problem. And I think that's about the same number that we saw that, you know, stuck with George W. Bush for eight years, no matter how insane his presidency got. And please, let's not forget, his presidency was insane. <laughs> Just because Donald Trump is insaner, let's not uh, lionize George W. Bush because he was horrible. Eric, uh, let me take a quick break here. I want to come back and play you some audio and get some quick thoughts from you on this uh, political question. Very interesting one, I think. Speaking with Eric Bullert, media critic, analyst. Uh, you can sign up for his newsletter at pressrun.media. During the break, we'll come back, ask him uh, a quick question on a new Democrat who has signed up with the Democratic Party. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Baby. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I'm speaking with Eric Bullert of Press Run. This week, Steve Schmidt, a longtime, very conservative Republican, appears to have simply had enough entirely. Schmidt is a, a longtime GOP political consultant and strategist. He was John McCain's 2008 campaign manager. Uh, who gave up on the party some time ago, renouncing them, in fact, I believe around the time that Donald Trump sort of turned his ire against John McCain. Schmidt eventually left the party to become an independent and a never-Trumper and a, a member of the Lincoln Project, which produced so many of these killer, amazing, hard-hitting, anti-Trump, anti-GOP political ads in the run-up to the election. Um he offered uh, an announcement this week on his Battleground podcast with co-host David Pluff, who's a longtime Democratic strategist. Uh, Eric, let me let me play this clip, and then I'll, I'll have a, a question or two for you on the other side. 
Gotcha. It is an unbelievable moment and a fitting end to this rancid Trump presidency, but opens up and frames perfectly the battle we'll have for the next generation. And that battle, as difficult as it is for me to say it, is a battle between democracy and autocracy that will be playing out on American soil. It's just beyond my comprehension to say that again, a battle between democracy and autocracy, not on a foreign land, but on American soil. And I have deep contempt for so many of these House members and senators who've allowed for all this to happen. But we found out the answer to the question, who would cross the Rubicon? Who would try to upend an election to maintain Trump in power with undemocratic means? Right. Who would who would try to overturn the will of the American people? And so now we know, right, 90 Republicans in the House said no, they're not going to do that. And 106 of them said yes. The question with those 90 House Republicans, how many of them just can't get past the absurdity of it versus the principle of it? But at any rate, so I have a surprise announcement for you. I spent 29 years as a Republican. I've spent two and a half as an independent. And later this afternoon, I will register as a member of the Democratic Party. And I'm doing that because in America today, it's only the Democratic Party, which is the oldest political party in the world that stands for the ideas and ideals of American liberty. It's a broad, big tent party. I understand ideologically where I come from isn't anywhere close to being you know, the mean opinion of the party on some issues. But I think for me in this hour, for the balance of my life and my participation in politics, I'm not independent in this fight anymore. And I'm not prepared to make any accommodation ever with any of the elements that came to life and were encouraged by a president. It's not as if they didn't exist before, but now they're the mainstream part of a coalition inside the Republican Party. And that wasn't so when I was there. These militia groups, the nationalist groups, the white nationalist groups. And I do think it's zero sum. I think we win. And by we, I mean America, or they win. And the place where that fight will take place from is in the Democratic Party. And so I'm proud later today that I will become a member of it. That was longtime GOP strategist Steve Schmidt announcing he's becoming a Democrat. He's joining the Democratic Party. Uh, Eric Bollert, I, I know that I, I and I think that uh, Schmidt actually there uh, aptly describes the framing that you might like to see from the media uh, more. The yeah. battle between democracy and autocracy that is playing out before our very eyes. I think he does a good job there. Uh, and I think the Lincoln Project that he was a member of, a founder of, did a fantastic job for Democrats before the election. But I have seen quite a few Democrats and progressives complaining this week about the, you know, over the past month or so about the influence of these so-called never Trumpers who are very much, you know, long previously longstanding Republicans uh, and the influence that they might now have on the Democratic Party as guys like Steve Schmidt, not exactly, a, you know, a, a lefty progressive liberal uh, joins right, the right. party. I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I think it's an interesting uh, question and a point of discussion here. 
Yeah, well, first of all, I give him credit because honestly, you know, his kind of for a lot of these never Trumps, their shtick is, oh, well, I'm a Republican, but mm-hmm. you know, that gives them a nice media angle, a media hook, and to walk away from that, I think is, you know, to his credit, not something easy to do. Now he's just another Democrat who hates Trump. So, uh, so I, I give people credit when they they kind of uh, put their money where their mouth is. Uh, my feeling on the on the um, on the Lincoln Project and everything is I, I'm all for everyone joining the tent. If uh, some folks start becoming uh, having too much influence and they're trying to push um, you know uh, an agenda that's not progressive, then that's the time to. Um, call it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, bring everyone in the tent. I think it's going to be very hard for people. I mean, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, that was the most liberal platform any uh, nominee for the Democratic Party has ever run on, and he won by 7 million votes. Democratic Party is not a center party. It's not the Bill Clinton 70s party. It's not the Sam Nunn Democratic Party. It is far far to the left versus 20 years ago. The idea that I think some of these folks can come in and, and, and kind of haul it back into the middle, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to happen. It's just not, that's not the, where, where the momentum is. So I, I, I welcome all the voices. But again, if we find out that they are, do have too much influence in the White House and they are trying to, you know, A, I don't know, rethink immigration policy, then no, absolutely not. Those aren't, that's not what they're there for. Well, I would love to see, frankly, their hardball influence on the politics of the party. I mean, when you yep. saw those Lincoln Project videos, you were like, well, yep. damn, that's why exactly. Republicans <laughs> win elections all the time. But so I'd love to see that that influence on the politics, if not the policies of the party. And I'm glad you think that that is possible, that that can happen. We'll see if you're right about that. <laughs> I hope you're right. Eric Bollert, uh, you can find him and you should find him at PressRun.media, where you can sign up for his thrice weekly newsletter, looking at uh, important issues on the media, but also giving you every time, every column, I think, some good stuff, including some music videos and so forth to... uh, keep you from wanting to jump off a bridge at this point <laughs> in American history. Uh, you can also find him on the Twitters at Eric Bullard. Eric, always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. I look forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, uh, next year. Always best. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure everything will be fine <laughs> once 2020 is over. Yeah, sure. Okay. Go. Thank you, brother. All right. Be good. Okay, we got to get out. My yes. thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or would just like to save it for a keepsake, you can stop by bradblog.com and download it for free. You can also share it with your friends, families, and uh, neighbors and enemies and everyone else. That is made possible all for free. Thanks to those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. Please keep Desi and me in mind uh, for your year-end giving. You can also stop. Uh, you can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.